Our scripture reading for this morning is found on page 3 of your bulletin. It's, it's John 18 into 19. We already read the first half of it, and we'll read again the second half. It's, it's a part of our little mini Easter time sermon series as we're, we're walking through these events that our calendar has us thinking about. Remembering the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ and, and trying to bring to mind why this is so important to remember. And we pick up the, the story as we're kind of taking these big uh, picture, big uh, passages to understand what happened in those days. We pick up the story with Jesus having been arrested and interviewed in front of, in front of the, the Jewish authorities, now being bringing, brought before the Roman authorities. And, and we want to remember one thing that we, we studied last week. Uh, so r- reminder if you were here or just a refresher if you weren't, which is we saw last week when Jesus was arrested, this really important truth uh, that Jesus is still the reigning king of kings, uh, even as he's arrested. Uh, even remember Jesus saying his, his name, I am, and the Roman soldiers fell down at just that word, that divine name being spoken. It reminds us of something really important, that Jesus is not the powerless victim. That he's going forward because this is the Father's plan and his desire to do the Father's plan. So whatever happens that we read about, not an accident, not a powerless Jesus who's a victim, this is the work he came to do. It's on purpose. So let's let's keep that in mind as as we go forward. So Jesus has been interviewed a little bit before Pilate, and now we pick up the reading of God's word with chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Uh, Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law that according to the law... Uh, He ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me unless it had been Uh, given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. For anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in an Aramaic Gabbatha. It was the sixth. It was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, "Behold, your king!" They cried out, "Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him!" Pilate said to them, "Shall I crucify your king?" Mm. The chief priests answered, "We have no king but Caesar." 
So he delivered him over to be crucified. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, and we pray that you would bring its truth to our hearts. Encourage, challenge, uh, show us your glory, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If there was to be a king over your life, what kind of king would you want him to be? If there was to be someone who had, who had authority over you and your world, uh, someone who was a, a defender, a champion of you and, and, and your world, what kind of authority and champion would you want him to be? What would you want him to be like? What would you want him to do on your behalf? What kind of king would you want him to be? Now now think about a slightly different question. What kind of king do you need? It's a different question. Right? D- different one thing to say, what kind of king do I want? It's something different to say, what kind of king do I need? And would you be willing to put aside the, the kind of king you want in order to bow down and receive the kind of king you need? Here in John 18 and 19, Jesus is again and again presented as the king. But it's not the kind of king we would expect. It doesn't look very kingly. And when we get down in the details, maybe it's not even the kind of king we think we want. But what if it's exactly the kind of king we need? Well, let's look at actually four different aspects of Jesus and his kingship that come out of the passage as we work our our way through it and wrestle with, what is the kind of king we need? What if this is it? First thing we notice is that Jesus is a king who is in the world, but not of the world. So the the Jewish authorities, Jesus is now arrested. They're convinced that, that Jesus has to go. He needs to be killed. But because of Roman rule, they don't have the authority to put anyone to death. So they have to get the Romans to do it, and so they bring Jesus to the Roman authority here. It's, it's Pontius Pilate. He's the governor. But he serves at the behest of Caesar. Here's the, the representative of the, the great ruler of the empire of Rome, Caesar. Caesar is the king in this territory, and, and Pilate his uh, his representative. And so uh, the the Jews bring him to Jesus, to to this Roman kingly authority. And, well, they really are playing up this angle of this guy claims to be a king uh, because they think it's going to get what they want. Because if they can paint Jesus as a king, then he'll look like a rival, a threat to Rome, and and the Roman authorities more apt to execute him. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the very first question that Pilate, Roman authority, asks is, uh, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus admits he is a king. But then he very quickly qualifies not exactly the kind of king you think. Uh, Verse 36, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting 
and I would not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So he says, yes, I am a king, but not the kind of king you think, with not the kind of kingdom uh, that you're anticipating. And then he, and then he, gives, he gives evidence of it. He says, if, if I was an earthly king with an earthly kingdom, I wouldn't even be here. Then my servants would fight, would pick up the swords and, and, and defeat all who oppose me. Uh, and so I wouldn't be here. So the very fact that he's standing there, Jesus says, this is proof. I'm not an earthly king, and I don't have an earthly kingdom. Instead, he says, his kingdom is not of this world. Uh, it's, it's a kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. His, his authority doesn't come from earthly rulers or powers. Uh, his kingly power doesn't derive from earthly places or earthly powers. It is from heaven. It is his by nature as the Son of God, but also then as, as the Messiah, the God-man, bestowed by his Father. Uh, he's, it's a, an authority and a power that's not from earth, it's from heaven. And so, he's not an earthly king. And so, in that sense, he's not a threat to Caesar the way, the way Caesar might interpret it, or, or Pilate might interpret it, or the Jews might try to play it off. He says, oh yes, I am a king. But he makes this clear distinction between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom uh, that he rules, the kingdom of heaven. In part, he makes the distinction, uh, says that distinction gets lived out uh, for the, because of the goal of his kingdom and the weapons of his kingdom. He goes on, verse 37, to say, uh, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is what he does as the king. He doesn't lead an army with swords and take over uh, earthly territory. He comes with the truth. There is, his, there is his weapon and there is his goal. Uh, to proclaim with his words and with his very being the truth of God. The truth of, of God's promises, of God's salvation, and God's ways. And so uh, he is a king, but it's a different kind of kingdom different kinds of, different purpose, different weapons. Mm. Uh, and so, therefore, a clear distinction between the kingdoms of this world and uh, his kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean uh, that the, the, the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdom of God are, uh, are equal, just kind of separated. He actually makes it very clear that the kingdom of God stands over the kingdoms of right, this world. Right. What does he say to, to Pilate in chapter 19, verse 11? He says... You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from yes, above. Yes, yes. So even, even the earthly kingdom that Pilate represents uh, is, is just under the authority of the, the ultimate that's kingdom, right, the, the right. kingdom of God. And as, again, we bring to mind that Jesus isn't here the, the helpless victim, but this is the plan, we start to realize here is the kingdom of this earth, Rome, the powerful empire, it is actually, at this moment, a tool in the hand of King Jesus to accomplish his purpose. Even in all its ugliness, in all its evil, uh, he rules over it for his purpose. So he is a king. But it's not a king like we might think. Not a kingdom of this world. Not a king of this world. Now, I wonder... If deep down there are times when we wish Jesus were a little more earthly, 
a little more of an earthly king. We, we maybe wouldn't say it, but there maybe a part of us that wished that Jesus, if he were a little more of an earthly, this worldly king, uh, would therefore give us more of the, the treasures of this world's kingdoms. Give us more of the comforts of this world. Uh, give us more of the of the treasures of this world, of the of the glories of this world. He could, but again, he's he's not an earthly king. Uh, his purposes are bigger and better. And so, even now, as he's himself living out, as he as he puts aside the the earthly treasures, the earthly glories, the earthly comforts in himself in order to serve a greater purpose. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that he sometimes, often, uh, does that with us. Uh, but sometimes we kind of, well, Jesus, can't you give me a little more of this world's treasure? What if he's not the kind of king you want? But what if, as we'll go on to see, it's exactly the kind of king we need? And so taking to heart that, well, yes, he's a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. I wonder if that helps us in, a, in another place as well, especially as we, as we wrestle with this, this particular time in which we find ourselves, this particular moment in history. You know, I, I don't have to go on a big speech to say this is a, this is a time that, where there's a lot of tension, uh, a lot of it tied into political things, government things, uh, what's happening in the world around us, and, and there's tension and animosity, and and, and even in the church, even in, among Christians, uh, frustration, fear among believers, sometimes frustration with each other, uh, someone who might, might have a little bit of different take about what's going on, and, and sometimes we can get frustrated with one another, even angry, even sometimes tempted to keep our distance from certain brothers and sisters because of how they are interacting with what's going on. Um, Jesus doesn't say everything here. He doesn't answer every hard question, uh, and the Bible does say more. But I wonder if what he says here is not a critical starting point for us. Uh, Jesus' statement, my kingdom is not of this world. I wonder if we don't need to repeat that to ourselves and just take it to heart. His kingdom is not of this world. That is, that as much we might, as we might be impacted and and have strong feelings about what's happening around us, as much as we might love uh, and, and want the best and pray the best for our country, we might need to say to ourselves, the United States of America is not the kingdom of God. You better preach, my God. And it's never been the kingdom of God. Yes. And it never will be the kingdom my of God. God. My God. Just like Canada and Mexico right. and Guatemala and China. Right. Uh, and, and therefore... There is no one who could ever step into a voting booth and vote out the kingdom of God. My God, my God. My or vote God. in the kingdom of God. My God, yes. And there's no president or court or legislative decision that could veto the kingdom of God. My God. Now, that doesn't answer every question. There's really hard questions that we probably should wrestle with. But I think it does give us a starting point to at least, well, if nothing else, maybe take the temperature down a little bit. To, to allow us as God's people a, a, a peace that we do have a king, but his kingdom is not of this world, and in fact, it's bigger uh, and better. And he is ruling, and though we might not know exactly what he's doing, like he's doing in this moment before the kingdom of Rome, 
Uh, he is using the kingdoms of this world, every one of them, for his kingly purpose. And it's good. So, the king. A king who's in the world but not of it. Uh, a king who takes our place. A king who takes our place. So after uh, Jesus has his discussion, or Pilate has his discussion with Jesus, the first one, uh, Pilate goes back out to the Jewish leaders, and he says this uh, to them, verse 38. Uh, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, uh, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Uh, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. A, a robber. Yeah. You can also translate that an insurrectionist, which actually Mark's gospel tells us it's exactly what's happening here with Barabbas. That Barabbas isn't just like a petty thief. He stole some bread. Uh, no, uh, he is a revolutionary, an insurrectionist, who Mark tells us has already been part of an uprising against the powers that be and committed murder in the process. Uh, that's Barabbas, right? And and so, well, I mean, talk about a threat to Roman rule and authority, right? The the authority, the, the Jews are trying to, they're in Jerusalem, the leaders are trying to portray Jesus as the threat to Caesar and Caesar's kingdom. Well, this guy is the real threat. Uh, he's not just a threat. He's actually acted on it and, and committed murder in the process. He's the real threat. Uh, and here's Jesus. Pilate says, um, I find no guilt. He, he, he's innocent. So you start to take in the scene. Jesus, innocent. Barabbas, guilty. Really guilty. And, and, and the choice gets thrown out there, which one should be released? Now, remember what we, what we started with. None of this is by accident. None of this takes place because Jesus just wasn't quite powerful enough. This was the plan. So all of a sudden, you start to see the scene a little bit differently. Uh, here, Jesus, innocent. Barabbas, really guilty. What, what hope is there for Barabbas? Even just on an earthly, practical level. What hope is there? He's a prisoner of the mighty Roman Empire. He's not going to escape. He's not going to break out of prison. Okay. And he's guilty as guilty can be. What hope in the world is there for Barabbas? Well, here it is. That someone would take his place. That, that, that an innocent one uh, would, would be declared guilty and he could go free. And that's exactly what happens. Innocent Jesus will declare him guilty and will take the guilty, guilty, guilty guy and he gets to go free. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that our hope? Uh, and again, it's Jesus. He's acting as the king here. Right? Pilate can't repeat it enough. King of the Jews, he's your king, your king, king, king. What does he do as his king? How does he use his power? How does he, how does he fight? What's his weapon? He stays in that place as the innocent one in order to set the Barabbases free. And that's good news for us because, well, we are much more like Barabbas than we are like Jesus, aren't we? I mean, even, even as you think about what sin is at its, at its core level, uh, sin is essentially insurrection. 
right? We're, we're mounting and staging a coup against heaven itself, uh, right? Because our sin is not just, oops, shouldn't have done that. Our, our, our sin is our hearts saying, God, you're in charge, but I do not want you in charge. I want you to have no say over my life. I will not, don't want any part of it. I am doing my own thing. I don't care what you say. That's Essentially, what we're saying is, God, I want you off the throne of the universe. I want to be on the throne. Right? Our, our sin, we're staging an insurrection against heaven. Uh, we're, we're the Barabbas. So what hope in the world is there for us in God's courtroom? We're not going to break out of his jail. I mean, what hope is there? Well, it's the Barabbas hope. That there might be someone, a king, would use his authority to be, though innocent, treated as guilty so that we could go free. That's the king we have. That's the king we need. Ah, and we keep going. Because Jesus isn't just declared guilty, he's also then treated as guilty, comes under the judgment that comes with that. Here we get into verse 19. Or, excuse me, chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So now Jesus is beginning to suffer horribly at the hands of the powers in charge. And, and most of you know the story. This is just the beginning. It, it, gets, it keeps going. It gets worse all the way to his horrible death on the cross. But it's interesting to see as, as John begins to introduce it. Did, did you notice? He tells you what's happening. But where he really focuses his attention is not on how much blood and gore there is here. Where he focuses his attention is on Jesus as king. Do you see? He seems to emphasize Jesus is being treated as a king. Now, of course, the Roman soldiers are, are using it to humiliate him, using it to, to mock him and to afflict him. Uh, but again, nothing's on purpose or nothing's accidental. This isn't Jesus powerless. This is exactly what the king came to do. Wow, what a surprise, though. To be, to be arrayed as a king and yet suffer the, 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 the affliction of one who is guilty. That's a strange kind of king. But the scripture says that's exactly what the king comes to do. Remember how Isaiah explains it? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. Right? He's, he's, just, he's living out that, that Barabbas beginning. And not only uh, treated as guilty but in terms of law, but now he's actually receiving, beginning to receive uh, the affliction of one who is guilty. And Isaiah sets it up. Yeah, it's not for his sin. But the king is being treated as guilty. The, the wrath is coming on him for our transgressions. That, that guilt that we deserve as the Barabbases of, uh, in God's, God's world, uh, we're, we're not getting the wrath of God. He is in our place. So that, here's the good news, here's, here's what you and I really need, so that through faith in him, if he takes all 
the wrath for our sin, he takes all the punishment for our sin, then there is none left for us. Then, then like Barabbas, we, we go free, untouched, unharmed, unjudged. Actually, Scripture goes a step further. It's not just that we go free as a neutral individual, uh, that because Christ taking that wrath of God, we're, we're brought in as forgiven children, mm. heirs in his kingdom. Come on now. Right? His beloved, yeah. though we're the guilty ones. Yeah. And that's what the king came to do. It helps us understand what, what we kind of do with, with a passage like this. I don't know if you ever wondered that. I, I think back as a, as a young man, early Christian, kind of reading passages like this where Jesus is afflicted and, you know, maybe it's a Good Friday type of thing or, or just reading through the Gospels, getting to passages like this and, it's, you know, kind of gory and, and kind of just thinking, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, am I just supposed to feel sad and just kind of sit like sad? Like, what do I do with it? Okay, here, here's, here's, I think, part of what we do with it. And maybe this will help you as you even work through this week. Let this scene remind you of two critical truths. Two critical truths. Not a coincidence, the two critical truths that you are probably the most likely to forget on a daily basis. Two critical truths, the ones on a practical level you're probably most likely to forget. That is this. Your sin is that bad, and God loves you that much. That's what that scene with Jesus really does. It, it, it shows you the, the, the uncomfortable truth that, wow, my, my sin really is that bad. This is, this is before a holy God what my sin deserves. I get a, get a picture of it at least, in part. My sin is that bad. But then very quickly we, we realize the truth is being proclaimed to our hearts. God loves me that much. That God himself would willingly, joyfully come using his, his kingly authority, go to battle in this way for me, because it was the only way to rescue me. And the message gets proclaimed to, to, to my heart, to your heart, believer, God loves you that much. And you will be tempted to forget those things. But here's the scene uh, reminding you, wow, my sin is that bad, but God loves me that much. Finally, and you kind of see this extended into this final scene, a king who saves hardened rebels. A king who saves hardened rebels. So here's Pilate. Now he's really trying to have Jesus released. He, he brings out Jesus. He's already been beaten up and clearly looks horrible at this point. And Pilate essentially saying, uh, okay, he's innocent. Can we, can we just call it a day? Like, I've already kind of afflicted him. Like, can we just call it quits here? And, and notice how the, the opposition doesn't even waver. In fact, they, they take it like five steps forward. They build up the intensity. Uh, they actually now try to manipulate Pilate. Right? Did you catch that? He, you know, shall I crucify your king? Um, we have no king but Caesar. And you do realize, Pilate, uh, that if Caesar kind of finds out that you released a rival, uh, he's not going to be real happy, right? You're, you release a king. You're no friend of Caesar. Right? He's, 
He's they're trying to manipulate him. And even so far as denying their own confession from their own word as uh, as Hebrews that that they do have a king in heaven. Come on, uh, yeah. we'll just we'll just yeah, sacrifice that, that one because because yeah. we're we're going to yes. You see it they they actually double down in their rebellion yes. against Jesus. But again, if you take take the scene in and realize this isn't an accident, Jesus isn't powerless, and you realize he just goes forward. Uh, I mean, how many of us would do that? You know, you, you've had times in your life where someone is someone has hurt you, and, and it's come against you, and and okay, the first time you're like, all right, I'll just I'll just be patient and. But then, then it happens again, and, and like the second time or third or fourth, it's it's like doubling down, like they get even more intense and personal and insistent. And at that point, you're just like, okay, I'm done. Right? Um and, and maybe, okay, I'll I won't I won't lash out, but I'm certainly gonna have nothing to do with them anymore. <laughs> but but realize what Jesus does here. As they as they harden themselves in their rebellion. He doesn't, that's it, I'm done, and walk away. In fact, some of the, some of the next words he's going to speak uh, is to say, Father, forgive them. My God, my God, my God. Or go forward, uh, not a couple hours, but a couple weeks, and, and now you have exalted Jesus on high in glory, suffering over. What's the first big thing that King Jesus does uh, in relation to these individuals? Well, he pours out his Holy Spirit uh, to empower Peter to go before this Jerusalem and say, yeah, this Jesus whom you crucified, he's actually exalted on high. And you who put him to death, repent and find forgiveness of sins. And even adds, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus, far from saying, yeah, that's right, I'm done with you actually keeps going to bear the full wrath of God so he can, Father, forgive them, and more than that, pour out the very presence of God into their lives, the very people who have doubled down in their opposition to him. Again, that's the kind of king we need because that's the kind of people we're like. If you think about your own heart, even a little bit honestly, you realize how often it's not just, okay, I messed up once, but you kind of keep going and, you know, can, can so easily harden yourself in, in, in the ways that are opposed to God. And here, here is King Jesus for us. The hardened rebels, he keeps going. And, and even then comes to us and says, turn from your sin and find forgiveness, full and free. Even find the gift of life and the spirit and joy within you, uh, undeserved. It's the kind of king we need. Right? So you could ask that first question, what, what kind of king do I want? If, if I had a champion, if I had a, a ruler over me, what, what kind of king would be nice to have? But what kind of king do you really need? And, and would you be willing to put aside the type of king you might want in order to embrace and bow down before the kind of king you really need. And, and here's, here's what you and I need. You need a king who's in the world, but not of it. You need a king who's going who's gonna to take your place 
and take your judgment, and a king who is committed to using his power and his king's authority to rescue even hardened rebels like us. And so the, the, the response from all of us is, is to turn from our sin and turn to this Jesus and, and bow down in faith. Uh, maybe that's you bowing down in faith before him for the very first time. Or, or maybe that's, that's just a, another day reminding yourself and, and going before him, yeah, King Jesus, you're my only hope. You're my only king. Help me. I believe, help my unbelief. The kind of king we need. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would send your spirit, even here among us in our hearts, you know they're weak, or that we might know and and rest and trust uh, in you, uh, our King and our God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.